Let's go. You are listening to Dollars and Sensibility, the podcast that explores the numbers, concepts, and behaviors that shape your financial life. Hosts, business partners, and friends, Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are financial advisors in Hollywood, California, that for a combined 35 years have helped thousands of individuals and businesses better their financial futures. Here, they want to open these discussions to you, the listener, share the many things they have learned, and of course, how to be sensible about your dollars. Welcome back, everyone. This is another episode of Dollars and Sensibility. I am Andrew Money Marts here with my very gracious co-host, Mr. Dollar Bill McBride. Billy Boy, how are we doing today? Excelente. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I want to jump right into this. This is a meaty episode, but it's it's fantastic. So if you think about financial success, I think universally we all define that differently, but it's a goal that we're striving for. And intuitively, I think a lot of us recognize that environmental factors will play a role, but specifically the people who are around us are inevitably going to shape our financial habits. So this enters our topic today, financial enabling. It's a dynamic that can silently affect your financial well-being. So today I want to dive into what is financial enabling, the relationships that can foster it, and industries that can be more prone to it. So your your career choice and your job may actually make you more prone to financial enabling. And then most importantly, how we can overcome this. So let's start to unravel the mysteries of financial enabling. So first, what is it? So picture uh, a friend or a family member who offers to lend you money every single time you're in a financial bind. Maybe you're you know, laid on a credit card payment or a car note, or you've, you're a little bit short for rent that month. So at first, like this can seem like a really helpful gesture, but over time you realize that their support is actually holding you back from really taking control of your own financial journey. So this, this concept is kind of well-recognized across all areas of life. If you want to achieve and experience growth, there's, there's probably going to be some you know, some friction or some hard things that you have to go through. It's that, that adversity that kind of builds, you know, the opportunity for you to grow in different areas, right? The easy example is always like the gym example. So going to the gym and working out is, is hard and strenuous, but the result is, you know, growth in, in your fitness. So the same is true when it comes to, to financial enabling and creating financial independence. So enablers may cover expenses, provide loans, or offer assistance during tough times, and their intentions are good, but their actions create this cycle of financial dependency. This dependency will prevent us from learning how to manage money responsibly. And, and ultimately making sound financial decisions. So Bill, let's let's talk about if you can kick us off here with the relationships that will foster or that maybe we see most commonly fostering financial enabling. Well, I, I want to go back over the premise real quickly. You said over time you realize that their support might be holding you back. So this is from the, uh, would, would that be first person point of view or second person? Let's just call it giver and receiver right? We, we talk about enab enabling is a process. The enabler is the person that's 
giving the assistance financially to somebody else, the enablee, I guess we would call it, right, is is the person receiving. And I, I think it, it it bears mentioning from the onset here that the person receiving often is the last one to realize that they're being enabled. Okay, it 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 is. I I think the burden kind of falls to on the enabler to recognize that this is what's going on, right? So let's get into that. Uh, let's get into that relationships that foster financial enabling. Um, can It can happen from various relationships in our life, right? So parent-child, very common one. Parents who consistently provide financial support without encouraging financial independence, they can hinder their kids' ability to manage their own finances, right? And, you know, and certainly, Andrew, you know, we're, we're both East Coasters and we, we look back on our childhoods and, you know, paperboy jobs and things like that. And, and you know, you, you can see a difference in the adults, that, that maybe didn't have uh, a job in high school or, or didn't enter the working world until their mid-20s or, you know, didn't even have that, uh, you know, the allowance and chores system set up, right? There, there can be a pattern of enabling that starts very, very young. Yeah, it, it's a really tough one, right? Because you can see across society this dynamic where, you know, so often people who grow up in environments with less or little resource, right, don't come from a place of um, a lot of financial literacy and education. Uh, maybe we describe this as like a blue collar type of environment. Have this sort of hunger that that forces them to grow. And many times, you know, can lead to these like really cool stories of entrepreneurship and, you know, later, you know, life success, whether it's in sports, entertainment, business, whatever. You also hear the stories of, of those who grow up with a lot of resources and don't have a need for anything and get a lot of support and get a lot of, let's call it financial enabling. And because there is that lack of adversity, lack of need or you know, desire, they don't have the, the skills or tools later to create their own financial independence or independence in any area of life because you know, it was a little bit easier for them. And that, that parent child one is so tough because the desire of every parent, I think for the most part is to protect and provide for their children. But we know at, you know, at some level, like children have to go through some sort of adversity to learn skills, life skills for themselves, including financial skills. Right. And and then that translates to Item number two, which is spousal relationships. And in a marriage mm-hmm. or partnership, one partner can be enabling the other by by covering up or supporting irresponsible spending habits. You know, one that I find a lot, Andrew, is um, it's not so much covering up or supporting, it's burying your head in the sand. Like, I don't know, I don't know what he's doing. He's got his own checking account and his own credit card. And yeah, we put all our money in the same IRA, but at the same time, like, and you know, financial decisions or, or finance is the number one reason for divorce in America. We know that we've talked about that a million times, but this this can all lead to financial stress and resentment even within the relationship, just socially, right? Numbers are supposed to be numbers. You got to talk about them though, right? Because they don't yeah. go away. If you ignore it, it doesn't go away. You know. Yeah, and I, I can't I can't under 
uh, emphasize, right? Or I can't emphasize enough how important like the decision of who you decide to spend your life with, who you decide to, you know, your spouse is going to be has such an impact over the trajectory of your life. It is so so important. (laughs) A hundred percent. You think your spouse makes a difference? I think it's the most important decision you will ever make in life. Um, and because money is the leading cause of, of divorce, we know that that money is interconnected to so many elements of the household and the, you know, that, that family unit where you live, your lifestyle, you know, where you eat, where you you go for entertainment, all all these different decisions. And financial planning is all about getting your money in alignment with your, your life and the vision of the, your future life. And if, if you don't have an aligned vision with the person who you're commingling and sharing finances with or sharing financial responsibilities with, how could your financial plan ever align with like two divided paths, right? You know, cautionary tale for all those who are not married and and seeking to be married in in the future, man, that decision is so important. Um, Choose wisely. Yeah. So look, I think let's roll through the next three of them and combine them kind of with the last one. And I, and I say that because what we have is friendships, we've got sibling relationships and romantic partnerships. Just yep. like we talked about with the spousal relationships, right? A friendship can be the exact same thing, but even even a little bit easier, right? Look, if you're the, the enablee, you might not recognize because you go, hey, I have this, I have this rich friend and he's, such a nice person or she's such a nice person and they always you know kick me down some money when i need it and i can always rely on them right that's not doing you any good right now now we we also have to define too enabling is a pejorative term for help okay and it the connotation there is that you're helping somebody in some manner that ultimately is not good for them Right, you're enabling them to do something that's not good for them. Help, on the other hand, is supposed to be a a positive term. Now, help can be now and then bad for somebody in the future, and help can also be good for somebody now and then good for somebody in the future. Right? Let's look. Let's face it. We're we're talking a lot about the negative here today, but at the end of the day, once in a blue moon, if you've got you know. If you got a rich aunt or uncle and you get in a bind, car accident, medical stuff happens, right? Life happens. Totally. You're you're being a good person, you're you know, you're trying to work as hard as you can, but you know, two flat tires in one week just and your credit card's maxed out and you take 500 bucks from, you know, Aunt Mildred, you you're not a bad person, you're not a chronic enabler, right? That's not what we're talking about here today. We're talking about this. No. And what I was going to say is like, I think there is a very positive side of this too, uh, specifically with, you know, things like your friends or coworkers. One of my, my favorite like little isms or sayings is your, your network is your net worth, right? And it's this idea that when, you know, if you want to see what your 
potential is, look at the the five people who you surround yourself with the most, right? You will start to, in some way over time, look very similarly, right? You're going to be at similar, you know, socioeconomic positions. You're going to be, you know, you're going to have similar beliefs about life and relationships and health and all, all of these things, right? If you hang out with really fit people, you know, you are probably going to be in better shape. If you hang out with really driven, you know, entrepreneurs and business people, you are more likely to be financially successful. It's not a guarantee in life, but it's, it is one of those things that have a strong correlation. So I think that the the positive side of this is when you surround yourself with people who don't make you dependent, but encourage you and, challenge you to, to grow and, you know, look at the world in new ways, that that's a really positive thing. And I think a really positive outcome of, of the opportunity with a lot of these relationships that we're talking about. Bringing up your average. I like it. Industries prone to financial enabling, financial enabling, said enabling so much in this episode, I'm stuttering. All right. So certain industries can foster financial enabling relationships due to the unique dynamics First one would be entertainment and sports. And Andrew, I just heard this story yesterday. I love it. So funny. Um, Sammy Hagar of Sammy Hagar as an individual rocker and uh, Van Halen lead singer Montrose. Sammy Hagar, apparently on last tour or whatever tour it was, uh, he had in the backstage room 10 bottles of Opus One. Every single show, 10 bottles. Never opened one of them. What is it? What is a bottle of Opus One? Go uh, for it. Opus One's uh, it's fancy wine. I think I don't know. Last I checked, was they were a hundred bucks a piece, maybe one hundred twenty-five, right? Um, okay. And I'm sure there's you know varying price ranges, but but uh, point was, he had them all sh- every show. He would just have the whole box shipped back to his house. Hmm. <laughs> now this is a little bit. Uh, of a tangent to financial labeling enabling. But what we see a lot of times though is, you know, other artists, right? The, the other artist from the same band that Sammy was in the record companies would, you know, have the backstage filled with all their favorite liquors and all their treats and snacks and all the, all that stuff. The band doesn't know that they're paying for that, right? It comes out of the tour uh, schedule or the, the, budget. the tour budget. Yeah. Right. So, so uh, all this to say is, is what industries are prone to financial enabling, uh, the entertainment well, and sports I, I put, industries. I put sports and entertainment on here. This is, you know, professionally at our firm, it's, it's probably who we deal with the most. And one of the things that I've noticed is when you meet young athletes or young entertainers, one of the best indicators of what their financial futures will look like in five years is directly correlated to their families, their parents' influence, their siblings' influence. And some families will, right, and this goes back to those relationships, some families take advantage of, of this sudden financial success. Some families really encourage smart and prudent, you know, long-term thoughtful planning, um, you know, and th- those two outcomes or those, those two backgrounds create very different outcomes for, for those individuals. And I would say that in sports and entertainment, you see more instances of 
financial abuse and financial fraud, you know, from, from related parties than in almost any other industry I, I've seen. And this is just anecdotal, it's personal, you know, story. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't have actual evidence of this, but I would say that of all the stories you hear just in news and media and what we've seen, you know, personally, it happens so much. And it's because there's like this idea of, you know, you think about, you know, an athlete who, uh, whose parents sacrificed and growing up and taking you to practices and games. And it's like, I, I owe this person so much, which is true. Uh, and you've seen, you know, beautiful stories of, athletes and entertainers who, you know, buy mom a house or, you know, a car, or this, that, and the other thing. And it's very, very, you know, it's very beautiful when they can afford to be able to, to do that. But that sometimes that doesn't happen on, on day one contract one. Sometimes that takes some time. Uh, you know, so we, we see that, all, we see it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. High income professions, same thing, right? Like doctors, lawyers, executives, uh, they could experience enabling behavior because of their perceived financial stability. So, you know, go, the entertainer, the entertainer, the doctor, right? We, if we didn't grow up with uh, a high income or a high net worth, and then we all of a sudden get there and it happens rather quickly, it can be very confusing, right? Because y- you, you see the price tag of the car, but at some point you might just see the payment, right? Like you, you, you go, hey, you know, wow, yes, it's X amount of dollars, but it's only Y amount of dollars per month, right? And I just made my first movie or I just played in my first NBA game or I just established my own practice as a doctor or a lawyer, whatever it is, and I'm going to be making more money. You can get ahead of yourself, right? So you can almost enable yourself, I think, is what we're talking about. 100%, right? And, you know, along with high-income professions, you see this in entrepreneurship. And one of the things that I think a lot of people don't consider when, if you're an outsider looking at a high-income professional, a doctor, a lawyer, if you're looking at an entrepreneur, you don't see all the hidden unseen costs, you know, and risks associated with that industry or with that profession, right? So doctors, for example, have to deal with malpractice lawsuits, you know, attorneys have a, you know, a certain amount of litigation risks. Um, entrepreneurs, you know, a lot of people look at entrepreneurs like, wow, this, this, this t-shirt company is, they're selling millions of dollars of product and it's flying off the shelf. It's like, well, but what is their operational cost, their marketing budget? You know, there, there's a lot of things that go into creating successful businesses and oftentimes, you know, top line revenue for, you know, a small company may look really, really big, but what the actual entrepreneur, the owner of that business gets to keep and what they, they take home and make is much, much, much less uh, until they build that thing up over time. Most entrepreneurs work for not the, the income that they'll make as an operating entrepreneur, but they're building to have an exit strategy, right? Some liquidity event where they can sell their business and that's how they really make their, their return. The, the rest of it is a labor of love, right? You're making, you know, the same and or in often cases less money than you would if you were just an employee at, <laughs> at somebody else's company, but you're, you're, you're building equity and you're building ownership in something that later you, you, you want to sell and um, have that big windfall. Yeah, and, and I think related to entrepreneurship, I, I don't know if this would be considered entrepreneurship, but filmmaking, I just thought mm-hmm. when we're talking about enabling uh, filmmaking and construction, right? Two seemingly unrelated fields, but I, I often see that when someone embarks upon 
making that screenplay a reality or building that dream house, they grossly underestimate the cost. Right? And mm-hmm. I'm talking like 50%. Like it's double. Like what, how much is it going to cost? It's got to cost a million bucks. No, it's two. Right? No, no, because, you know, the, but a lot of times it's the, it's the enabling mindset that says, I want this to happen so badly that I'm going to convince myself that it can happen for cheaper than the reality is, right? You know, it's interesting. And I think that what the correlation between those two industries are between filmmaking and, you know, construction or, you know, development, right? Building homes, things of that nature is it's very attractive to amateurs, right? So you get a lot of inexperienced people who are attracted to, right? I mean, both of us in in Hollywood for decades, like how often have you seen somebody with some sort of project, right? Some indie film, something raising money, you know, got a script, got an idea. I mean, if I had a nickel for every single time, you know, I'd, I wouldn't need to work again. Um, but the reality is like, there was such an experience in like, these people are oftentimes very creative, but they don't understand the business of this, which is something that like the big studios and the big production houses and the successful businesses do understand. They get the business of, of filmmaking. And that, that inexperience is what leads to this lack of properly budgeting and planning and why expenses go over 50%. The same thing with homes, right? Like Adam, Steve, and Sally has got like some home renovation show on HGTV now. And once, you know, every neighborhood, you know, DYI are to believe that they can be the next fix it or flip it. And it's hard. It's really hard to make money on these projects because if it was easy, everybody would do it. And now there's so much competition. You got big firms in there. So again, I just think it attracts like an amateur crowd who doesn't have a lot of experience and that, that inexperience is exposed when you start to, you know, progress with these projects and it's like, oh my gosh, like this is going to cost way more than I thought. And it's going to take way more time than I thought. And what I get myself into. Yeah. And you know what, Andrew, it just occurred to me not to get, get too grandiose with the whole concept of enabling, but that very mindset you're just talking about, about, hey, it can't be that hard. Everybody's doing it. You're filling your ears and your eyes with that while you're watching uh, all the home remodeling shows on TV and you go, hey, I can do this. The enabling in 2003 up until 2008, the enabling in that case was done by the banks, right? So what are we always talking about here, folks? Thinking for yourself, critical thinking, being honest with yourself. And, and that's where, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road with, with enabling. That's right. So, hey, there, there are some real impacts that this can cause. And I think to your point earlier, right, like some are negative and some are very positive. What can the impact of enabling be? I think the one we're trying to really highlight today is dependency. And I think dependency is a really, really dangerous position for somebody to be in because you start to lose control of your own future and your own destiny. And and that can manifest in a lot of different ways. So now, once you recognize this dependency, right, you're going to have a cycle of reaching out, needing other people, you know, developing your own skill set to be able to, you know, 
move on a path that you design and you decide for, for yourself. Um, you can also lose and have a lack of accountability. So when you have enabling relationships, you don't have any accountability for your, your financial choices. You know, you've got a good friend when they're going to call you on your stuff. Uh, right. When you can say, Hey, here's what I'm doing or check out this thing I just did. Uh, you know, the new car I bought the new home and somebody's like, Whoa, man, check yourself. Like, can you, is this, was this a good choice? Should you be doing this right now? Um, having people like that in your life is so important. Enablers are just going to, they're going to gas you up, right? They're going to, they're going to be your yes man, your yes woman, and give you the thumbs up on, on every decision that you make. And that's not people who are going to help support, you know, your, your own growth. Right. And, 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 you know, I don't want to get off here again, but what, what's their motivation, right? What is the enablers motivation for you, right? Are you going to end up owing them something? But but going back to dependency and lack of accountability, dependency, we, we say, prevents us from developing essential financial skills. Lack of accountability can lead to uh, hindering our, our growth and our, our improvement in our finances. But look, I, I'm thinking about long, long term, like your life. Doesn't this all, financial enabling can translate to your personal fulfillment, right? We, we've all heard those stories of, 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 of the very rich person that's very sad, right? And, and, and we often look because we glamorize in today's society of instant gratification, we glamorize those people that don't have to work, right? Or those people that don't have to, to earn money or go to an office. But what they're missing there, right? And and it might be, you know, it might be a trust from great, great grandfather that's, that's allowing this, but what it's taking away from that individual is that kind of social interaction, the relatability and the access to reality, uh, for lack of a better term, that, that, you know, next thing you know, they turn around and they're 70 and they look back and go, well, I didn't really get any fulfillment because I was, I've been financially enabled the whole time. And, and, and hopefully, and in rare cases, you know, we see those same kind of individuals, uh, you know, the bottom falls out, right? Somebody either mismanaged that money. You were saying before uh, that statistic about uh, generational wealth, right? 70% of it, not making it past two generations, 90% not making it past three generations, that kind of thing. That's where, that's where it gets really scary, in my opinion. Yeah. So let's, let's end this on a positive note. How do we break free, right? If you're in a situation, in a situation where you've been enabled or you're doing the enabling, right? Like let's say, let's get some real clear action steps and, and just some, I think this is good tips for, for anybody listening. So recognizing the impact of financial enabling is the first step. So the recognition that, Hey, I want to grow and there's something to grow from. Uh, first, I think it's all about open communication. That is the heart of the dollars and sensibilities podcast is we don't know everything. I certainly don't know everything, but creating a space where we can have open dialogue, challenge ideas, right? Be thought provoking, you know, honest conversations about financial goals, where I, where I need to, to go and the desire to create independence, I think is, is really, really important. And it's the phrasing here too, folks, right? So if it's, if we're going back to the parent child relationship and we're talking about open communication and you have a 35-year-old child living at home and you're paying for their car insurance and their cell phone bill and all their food 
and you, you're trying to say to yourself, hey, I just listened to Dollars and Sensibilities and enough is enough. We're going to make a change. While the approach is not, hey, sit down, son, daughter, right? We, we need to cut you off, right? The approach is mm-hmm. we want our loved ones to be financially independent and to grow. And to be able to do yes. that, we have to, we have to adjust some things. We have to, number two, set boundaries, establish clear boundaries around your financial responsibilities and decision-making. Talk to yes. your spouse, talk to your sibling. Hey, you know what? I know I've been borrowing 10 grand off you every year for the past 20 years. I'm going to stop that. Or, hey, you know what? You've been borrowing 10 grand off me for the past 20 years. I'm not going to allow you to do that anymore. And this is why. And how much is this going to affect you? And what can we do to change that? What can you do to change that for yourself? You know, setting boundaries, I think, is often looked upon as like having limitations. Oh, if I set a boundary, like, you know, I'm limited in in some way. You know, a a budget really is just a, a financial boundary that you're setting for yourself. So setting these boundaries, it doesn't limit you. It actually allows you to go further and faster. And the example I always use is is guardrails on the highway, right? Imagine a highway that's on the side of a mountain. You know, if I'm on the side of a mountain and I've got no protection from, you know, a thousand foot drop, I'm going to drive a little slower and be a little bit more cautious, or I'm going to go over that edge. If I've got guardrails in place, it enables me to go faster because I know that I've got some protection. If I rub up against that, I can get myself back onto the road. So, so boundaries actually allow you to go faster and farther than you would if you have, if you've got no boundary, if you've got no limitation. Um, so that, that's my that, own personal right? belief about, about boundaries. I love that. Why have I never heard that out of your mouth before? I don't know. Did you just make but that it's, up? It, but I, I think about it. No, I think about, I've, yeah, this has been a personal belief of mine for, for a very, very long time. And I think that people misconstrue the role that boundaries can play in, in your life. You know, ba- boundaries are, it's a very good thing, right? And it, you can translate it. You can talk about like, what does that mean in your life as far as like discipline or keeping a schedule or being, you know, you know, better time management or whatever. It's all, to me, it's all about creating better, better boundaries. Love it. Love it. All right. How about, uh, how about just simply educating yourself, investing in yeah. financial education and literacy, empowering yourself to make more informed financial decisions. Yeah, if you're if you're that parent, right, and you're working with a financial professional, let's say, bring your kids to the table, right? Invite them to the meetings. Ha, ha, give them the opportunity to, you know, get educated, to learn, to, you know, create their own financial plan, their financial track. Give them the opportunity. We talked about it, you know, last week or like the, the barriers to entry in investing are are very, very low, right? So just because, right, I, anybody can can invest, you can invest with $25. So help that younger person learn about prudent financial principles, you know, invest in education and good books and Ted talks and things of that nature that can help. Um, you can just learn. And this is one, Andrew, and I, got, I just have to say it. Seeking guidance from financial advisors, therapists, other people, because we were talking about the parent-child relationship, right? Other people yeah. beside your parents. This is yep. where we check, your, we check the ego at the door, right? If your son or daughter needs financial assistance or financial education, 
they look to you as a parent. We all think when we're very little, our parents are almighty and know everything. I, th- I thought my dad was a superhero when I was three years old. Like, literally, yeah. I thought he could fly. Like, I, it, it's, it's misleading, though. Right, because you get to the point, and then you kind of realize through you know the other hundred or so episodes that we've done that maybe maybe mom and dad don't know everything about investing, right? And it's good to to check your ego at the door, put your child, your loved one, the person you're being enabled by, or the person you're enabling, put them in front yep. of a professional so that they can get a third party opinion, right? Because right now it's just you two trying to redo the agreement that you've had before. Right. Just living in an echo chamber. I think the last, the last action step, right. That everybody could take. If you, if you make money or if you spend money or any combination of, you know, either one of those, you need to develop a financial plan, right? You got to have a plan in place because people don't plan to fail. They fail to have a plan. And it, it, you know, it starts and ends with, with the financial plan, put pen to paper, you know, it doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be, you know, long, you know, just simple. What do I make? What do I spend? What do I save? Where, where do I want to go? Have a, you know, have a financial purpose, you know, set a vision for yourself, set something that you are working towards to go to in the future. So important. No thoughts on planning that just, just a nod. Nah, we, we've, <laughs> we've, we've been preaching that for a few years now. I, I, it's, it, um, listen, it's, I'm a broken record, but it's, I'm going <laughs> to live and die by that statement. It, it will, you know, it starts and ends with the plan. If you don't have it, it's, you know, you're, you're driving without the GPS. Yep. So listen, as we're navigating, you know, our own financial journeys, we're all in different places. We're all, you know, learning, growing, you know, at the same time at different speeds. It's crucial to recognize the impact of the relationships, the people in your life, if financial enabling is is something that you are engaged in, right, on either side of that that relationship, as the enabler or the enablee, um, take steps, break free. You'll you'll never regret that that decision. So um, remember, seeking professional help it's a powerful tool. It's a great step towards embracing positive change. And as always, tune into the Dollars and Sensibilities podcast to get your latest financial updates. Hey, listen, one thing, one request I want to make, uh, if you could, if this podcast is meaningful, if you enjoy it, wherever you're listening right now, Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google Play, on the website, do us a favor and subscribe. It really, really helps get this message out to more people. So if you can just hit that subscribe button, um, it would we would be greatly appreciated. We do not run ads. We don't ask for anything in return, but a simple subscription would be a huge help to the Dollars and Sensibilities cause. Uh, until next time, I'm Money Marts. And Bill McBride. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Dollars and Sensibility podcast. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can join us for each and every episode. Follow us on social media at WIS Advisors and be sure to check out our website at wisadvisors.com. Tune in for the next step on the bridge between dollars and the mind of the sensible investor. Thanks for listening. Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are investment advisor representatives and registered representatives with Western International Securities Incorporated. All the opinions expressed by Andrew, Bill, and all podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Western International Securities. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. 
clients of Western International Securities may maintain positions discussed in this podcast.